Mr. Robot Season 4, Episode 7, Proxy Authentication Required is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, or continuing, rather, here on Post Show Recaps, the promised follow-up to our most recent Mr. Robot Reaction podcast, Antonio Mazzaro. Uh, No jokes, Antonio. Uh, it's just you and me again. Here we are. We're talking Mr. Robot once more. No jokes, Antonio. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately <laughs> what I'm known by online. Right. How are you doing? Yeah, we're talking Mr. Robot. I'm all right. Uh, right before this yeah. podcast, I decided to rewatch the episode. So I'm doing great. Yeah, I'll be honest. I have not rewatched the episode. Um, it's funny because my my reaction to this episode and and the way that it made me feel and my experience of watching it, I feel like this is the best episode of Mr. Robot is my current feeling. Um, I don't think I would say it's like my favorite episode of Mr. Robot necessarily. You know, that that tricky distinction uh, between like what you think is like objectively just like the masterpiece of the show, the thesis statement of the show and the execution of it all just being insanely top notch. I think that this is the one um, this is like this is the this is the key that was in your hand that was in your pocket the whole time. And you didn't know. Uh, and here it is unlocking this door that you never wanted to open. But here we are. Um, I still think the Muhammad episode, uh, the 308 is is my favorite and i still think a contender for best episode of mr robot but this was just so immaculately put together it was so important it made me feel things on such a profound level but i'm still not ready to like feel them again i'm still not ready to to watch this episode again i don't know that i am going to be especially eager to revisit this episode anytime soon like a thing can be phenomenal and not a thing that you want to experience over and over again, right? Like a thing can be so good on so many levels like this episode was and yet not be a thing that you need to revisit. The thing about 308 is it does make you feel some type of way, but by the end of the episode, you're uplifted. It, it is one of the happiest episodes of Mr. Robot in some ways because of where the the story of that individual episode ends up and how it ends up there. Uh, it's emotional, but it's it's maybe the most committed and dedicated we've seen Elliot at the end of that episode, maybe the most uplifting uh, that we've seen in, in certainly ending an episode. So it's a lot easier to go back and revisit those emotions uh, because you're on the way up by the end of it. This one, even that's going to be hard though. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> know exactly. It begins with the, uh, the Elliot and Edward at the movie theater scene. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and <laughs> Oh, I didn't even think about that aspect of it. Just in general, right. it's going to be hard yeah. to rewatch a lot of Mr. Robot. Uh, it, it's a, a, a thing and I don't want to spoil it specifically, but, uh, there was a tweet from, uh, at Travis Gaffer on Twitter, uh, who asked just generally, uh, does this episode make the, make it potentially, does it cloud the rewatchability of the whole series? And I guess I would say I understand if it does that for you. Uh, I'm not sure yet for me, because we still have a little real estate to go here before the end of the season. We have, what, seven episodes left? Six episodes left, I think, right? Right. So something like that. In those six episodes, anything could really happen. I don't believe that we're going to have the rug pulled out from under us and that this is going to change and that uh, we're going to get a different view of, of everything here. I think what happened happened. This seems like a real revelation and a real memory. Um, does that mean the machine's going to work? Are we going to get some kind of alternate timeline? Are we going to go back to the future and change uh, the story from the past uh, and therefore change the future? I don't know. So all of that stuff still to come, it may change ultimately how I view the series as a whole. It may not. But I would understand if right now it's very difficult for you to watch any episode of the show, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the performances in this episode were so good. The loss felt so personal. The, the horrible things that happened and came out uh, were so specific 
specific because of everything that went into it. Um, there was so much emotion, so much uh, specificity, so much just like legitimacy and honesty in the performances uh, and the way it was shot and the way it was staged that uh, it was a very affecting episode, the most affecting for sure. It really, really was. So for this ep- uh, this episode of the podcast, we're, we're, we got a lot of feedback from everybody. We put the call out for feedback for, uh, for this episode, for uh, the listeners of this podcast to share their thoughts about how they were feeling after 407 proxy authentication required. Uh, we asked, ye delivered. We've got a lot to get through here uh, on this podcast, uh, starting with, I think, just like general reactions to the episode. Um, because I think like... This is this is the kind of episode that you you may have like a first impression to it that that then changes and morphs the more you think about it. But I think like almost everybody's first reaction is going to be somewhere in the territory of like, I, I <laughs> Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. Oh, no. You know, like it's, you know, like you're like you're fading away. Um, Zach Brooks wrote in uh, and said, maybe I'm going to come around to this. But two episodes back to back that I felt really shitting shitty watching it uh, once again, really well crafted and well acted. But this reveal just felt like too much. Uh, Kelsey Ann had uh, a similar comment. Kelsey wrote in, honestly, this was too much this week. I wish I'd waited a bit to recover from Survivor to watch this one. The show is great as usual, but I wasn't ready for it. This is how I feel, too. And maybe a different time, I'll feel better about it. This is in response to, to Brooks. Uh, but it feels so shitty to watch, or I feel so shitty after watching it. I cried tonight after the episode, and not like an I'm crying with the character type, but like a holy shit, this is heavy and my chest hurts type. Uh, I think a lot of people had that reaction. Yeah, uh, Ted Spencer wrote in and said, I had a hard time going to bed afterwards. Uh, Diana P. Young wrote in and said, I felt like I was holding my breath during the entire episode. Uh, definitely. I completely concur with that. Uh, and it is, uh, it, it's very difficult. Uh, uh, and it, it's hard to watch. Uh, obviously, the episode makes sense in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and it, I understand if and, and some people wrote in like uh, Tao Su wrote in uh, from Twitter and said, thank you for the episode. This is my favorite of the series thus far. I think Sam Esmail handled this as well as possible and sadly makes all the sense in the larger story. Uh, makes it impossible to say what Mr. Robot is really about. Uh, and I, I do agree that uh, that this was handled really well, that it was just executed so well, but executing this story so well means that it's going to make the Dianas, the Teds, the Kelseys, the Zacks, the Antonios and the Joshes feel the way we felt about watching the episode because it was so well executed and because the material was so difficult. Uh, it's funny, in some way, you're talking, Josh, uh, Zach uh, talked about two episodes back to back that felt really shitty watching them. Uh, but now I remember watching last episode and thinking, Elliot's gone too far. How can he possibly live to see the season out? And now just the rug's been pulled out from under that completely. Completely, completely. I mean, it's just it's really hard to imagine where you go from here. Um, But it is that it is that kind of moment that completely recontextualizes everything, completely changes the entire game. Um, It it I know this question of like, what is Mr. Robot even about? anymore uh you know with a, with a reveal like this i think a lot of people feel sideswiped by it and aren't sure what's the sort of thematic statement of the series antonio to me it it actually doesn't change that much the the great set, uh statement of the series um it's certainly more specific uh and certainly more personal uh as it relates to elliot but i still think that this show as it always has been has been about power right and 
and the you know your relationship to 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 the powerful entities of the world and um what people in power can do to those who either do not possess it or do not feel like they possess it or feel like it's too impossible to ever reach it and attain it or for whatever reason feel like they can't wield it themselves and they're just under the under the thumb of some higher forces, whether it's the top one percent of the top one percent, which is what we were originally led to believe that this whole thing was about, or as uh, as every day as a relationship between uh, a parent and their child uh, taking this incredibly nightmarish turn, um, this really really awful turn that it takes in this episode, the power imbalance that resides at home. Um, I think that it's still. Uh, this is still a show about fighting against power and the and the the impact of power on people. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yes, it does recontextualize the series as we know it. And we're going to get into some feedback in a very short order about some of the specifics of that. Uh, but in many ways, it doesn't recontextualize the theme as you're putting it, that uh, the show about power uh, and the the relationship to power uh, and the relationships that form as a result. Uh, I had a horrible thought uh, after I watched the episode the first time that Elliot in the beginning of the series and throughout the first season is talking about the invisible hand, which we know is an economic term. I believe it may even be Adam Smith. I'm not sure. Uh, but we know that that's an economic term. Uh, but it, in the context of this, it is very much not an economic term anymore. Uh, and that is something that is connected to Elliot's character, This, this is, these issues with power, the anger, the rage, all of the things that we originally thought uh, were directed towards society um, are inner. They're, he has an inner turmoil. It is seated directly in specific issues that Fernando Vera and Krista helped tease out and that Fernando Vera, in, 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 through Krista's notes, knew were there. And that Elliot, in some way, shape and form, especially as Mr. Robot and as the altar, has known are there. And he's known that there's a reason for this and that he's kept it repressed for specific reasons so that he can go on on a day-to-day basis. But we've seen the impact that carrying this around with him deep in his soul has had on him. We've seen his loneliness. We've seen his isolation and trust issues. Uh, We've seen all of those things manifest as a result of this original sin, if you will. Uh, And now that that's uncovered, it does recontextualize the series, but it's still the same character with the same problems. We just now know uh, a large reason why that was present. Um, it is interesting, though, because on some level, the show is still very much about uh, hacking and timelines and machines and computer and the Dark Army and White Rose and all of these things. Uh, so it is interesting to think about. Scott French wrote in and said, how can this show bridge this deeply personal and tragic Elliot storyline to the larger White Rose endgame? Or does it even need to? What do you think, Josh? Well, I think the fact that, as you pointed out in our reaction podcast, that there's a reason to believe that White Rose might know about what Edward did to Elliot, considering Edward worked for White Rose, considering Edward said after Elliot fell out of the the window, after he jumped out of the window, um, that there weren't going to be any medical bills. All of that's taken care of. Um, So you can imagine the scenario where Elliot and White Rose finally collide and White Rose tries to get Elliot on board with her vision. Uh, Like, I know what you've been through. I understand what's happened to you. Uh, 
uh, you did not deserve that. We can change that. We can make it so it never happened. We can put you in a better world. Uh, like you can imagine how the deeply personal uh, for Elliot could tie into what is the deeply personal for White Rose. Uh, you know, it's still it's a massive, uh, you know, kind of like mustache twirly type of thing that sometimes we talk about what White Rose is up to. But for her, in her worldview, it's the most personal thing on the planet, right? Like it is the most it is the single most intimate idea that she possesses. Um, and now we know what Elliot's uh, most personal um, secret is, and we know what his most personal, um, uh, you know, moment from his past, the, 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 uh, a defining trait of this character now stands revealed. And for those two things to become enmeshed makes a lot of sense to me in the same way as once um, Vera got a hold of Krista a couple of episodes back, like, I felt like we got the sense that, like, okay, so that's probably going to get Elliot and Krista back in the same, you know, universe together once again, and through that, like, probably Krista's going to help lure out Elliot's other one, the third personality, such as that exists, maybe doesn't exist. Um, I think that you can see sort of the machinations for this, especially with only six episodes left, that what we now know about Elliot, I think is going to tie directly into what white Rose is trying to do I in terms of like the, the argument for come on board, Elliot, we, you know, we could use you. Here. Right. And we're on the same side. Uh, I, I do think there's just a good argument to be made that white Rose does know about this in some way. Uh, as I said on the feedback show and as you hire or on the reaction show, and as you highlighted there, um, there's reason to believe there's a connection. Uh, there are reasons to believe that, uh, that white Rose probably since she's been working with Elliot from the jump, uh, understands who, this person is on some level. Uh, I have not rewatched a ton, but I imagine as you do that and as you rewatch White Rose's statements about Elliot and his unique position um, at the beginning of season three, for example, um, there's that scene in the Washington Township plant where right before Julie Andrews starts singing, uh, where White Rose is talking to Grant and White Rose is saying something to the effect of uh, Mr. Alderson's father um, worked with us very early on and was responsible for some of our earliest advancements. Uh, when Elliot uh, is uh, ready and finished with his work, he can die for us just like his father did. Uh, so there is a direct personal knowledge of Elliot's life and family. Um, Elliot Alderson did not come into White Rose's world uh, just three months before they hacked Terry Colby or a month before they hacked Terry Colby. This is someone who's been tracking Elliot probably his whole life. Uh, and so I think it is, uh, there's an argument to be made there. Um, but like I said, you could rewatch that and you could find other instances of that or theorize about it. It's crazy because if we had a gap now, if this was like the winter, the, the fall break and Mr. Robot was coming back for six episodes starting in February or something. Right, right, right. Over that time, we could really put this together. Uh, I think people are scrambling to do that now uh, at this point because uh, I, I, I just know that like there are probably those things throughout the show because so much of it makes sense. Scott French had also asked what episodes or scenes stand out for us to go back and rewatch oh, with the new Mr. Robot. So context. many, yeah. so many, so many. I mean, the very first scene of series probably Elliot's first rant that he ever gives in Krista's office uh, probably has new meaning um, as we've already talked about uh, is it it's 103 right where uh, Elliot sees a vision of his mother and himself as a child and she's talking about how she's happy that his father is dead that takes on totally different meaning the entirety of Elliot returning home to Washington Township at the end of season one with Mr. Robot to find out that Mr. Robot is uh, the spitting image of his dad that all tracks or, or finds out that his dad is dead and that Mr. Robot's in his head the whole time. That all tracks. Uh, that has new meaning. Um, it's 
everywhere. It's everywhere. It's basically every Edward Alderson scene. Uh, Every Edward Alderson scene, you now have to go back and watch. And I know like a lot of the feedback, not just to us, but around the internet um, has been like, what the hell? Edward Alderson seemed like such a chill guy. Like he's, he seemed like a good dad. He took him to the movies. He seemed like he really liked him. How does this make any sense? This comes completely out of no. That's kind of the point. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of the point. Yeah. That's, that's the point. That's, that's, you know, that's we really the point we got to see him in like his like sort of um, front facing, like world facing way. Right. Like we kind of got to see him with his mask on, you know, talk about another thing that this show is about is the masks we wear, uh, you know, shout out to, to Watchmen, right. And any of the other show that you and I are talking about every week. <laughs> I'm wearing mine right now. Reflect the team, you know, but that's very, that's very, um, that's very much of a piece with, with what Mr. Robot is doing with the, with the, the, the massacre masks, the, um, the, the dark army masks, uh, all these different masks that are literally worn, but also the ways in which you disguise yourself to the world. Uh, the faces that Darlene puts on, uh, the fact that Dom is undercover essentially for the dark army within the FBI right now, it's everywhere. It's all over the show. Yeah. And, and the, the Edward Alderson scenes are things that presumably Elliot is remembering or hasn't repressed or that are leaking out, but uh, a lot of this probably is the stuff he hasn't repressed entirely. Uh, keep in mind, of course, that when we begin the series and for the first eight episodes, he doesn't even remember that that's his father. It's that deeply repressed. He burned a CD of, of all the pictures of him and put no name on it uh, and hid it. So these are things that Elliot has hidden. What we've seen leak out maybe aren't the bad things. Uh, maybe they're the good things. And so it seems that way as well. We also got a couple different pieces of feedback uh, about some of these things like you said like he's he's a good guy well no that's the point he's not and maybe your parent taking you to pulp fiction when you're eight years old or whatever is not a horrible thing but maybe it is a bad thing like maybe that isn't the sort of thing that a parent should do um we had a great piece of feedback from allison in san jose um she said whether you're in treatment or thinking about seeking treatment you are loved and supported by your fellow listener allison in san jose uh and allison basically said like she related to elliot's childhood she thought her mom was a friend thought the lack of boundaries meant they had a strong relationship. Nope. Uh, parents are not meant to be your friends in, in certain ways. And I, I definitely see that that in the Edward Alderson treatment, that there is some level of closeness um, that is we read good onto it. But when you look at it through another lens, you could easily read bad onto it. Uh, and I think some for some people in the audience uh, that resonated because of their specific incidents uh, and their specific lives and the things that they have gone through or are dealing with. But for others, I think it started to stack up on some more of a narrative way. Uh, Joe wrote in and said uh, that he had a perspective closer to Elliot's experience um, and said, what I've been through is nothing like Elliot's, but I did grow up in a dysfunctional family and have lived life dealing with the reverberations of that. Uh, and Joe says, I have to say, I didn't find the big reveal of Edward Alderson's abuse, that's surprising. I can't say I predicted it, but it all fell into place. From the episode where we find out how Edward died, I knew this show was going to be about Elliot coming to terms with his father. I hope that revisiting that day will figure into the rest of the season. And then Joe went on to point out that uh, in a dysfunctional family, a child not learns not only to love someone they can't trust, they think that's normal. Uh, often there's a great deal of guilt. They believe that the child is the cause of the pain they're experiencing at the hand of another. Um, later in life, this can become a control issue where ironically an abuse victim feels so powerful. They think they control everything and everyone around them. I think this is how Elliot has coped, being the ultimate cis-admin, controlling every network he finds, using that to control the actions of people. 
The way Edward's death plays out also feeds into Elliot's worldview. Elliot wished his father dead and he died. It seems normal to feel that way about somebody who hurts you, but when you're in it, you feel you are to blame for your pain. So Elliot breaks again, thinking he killed the wrong person. Uh, Joe goes on to say, when I saw in this episode is not that the other is the facet of Edward revealed, but rather that we are seeing the real Elliot, the one who remembers the abuse, and for perhaps the first time. This means now the real Elliot has a chance to make his own choices again, perhaps for the first time. I'm hoping the rest of the show will be Elliot finding a place to make choices, to mindfully respond rather than knee-jerked react with the fear and guilt defense mechanisms he has hidden behind since he was a kid. First of all, I thought that was a great piece of feedback from Joe. Really, really great. Love the sentiments from Allison. Uh, And I think it just goes into uh, how you look at the overall show, that it is couched in these terms. Elliot, the character, has been there from the beginning. We're only finding out about this story because Elliot's telling us about it, uh, and we're only seeing it because of that. Uh, so, of course, uh, contextualizing why Elliot is how Elliot is, maybe it's not a question people were asking themselves, but I think if you weren't at this point in the show, uh, I think you'll come to grips with realizing that's the question you should have been asking. Yeah, but I think it's, again, and this episode is such a... Uh, it's It's such a... Oh my God, it's it's such a calling card for what Sam Esmail is capable of stylistically and structurally. Um, you know, I know we've got some feedback about sp- the specific structure of this episode, but I think that you can you can apply that broader, uh, more broadly to the structure of the series. Uh, that there are so many other questions that you're asking at this point that this really wasn't the main question that you were asking necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like that, like, why is Elliot the way that he is? Wasn't necessarily something that you expected to get a full answer to. Maybe I'm alone on that. Um, But I certainly never like even, even thought that something like this was uh, on the horizon. Um, And I think that that is a testament to uh, both Esmail and and his writer's room um, coming up with a plot structure that has you asking questions that are probably, you know, important and are going to have meaningful answers, hopefully, um, but are keeping your eye off of the the prize of like what what the real information is, like what the really pivotal stuff is Um, just really geniusly done. Definitely. It is, uh, it's just so geniusly done that it, it, it is, I think, something that people are still ruminating on, hopefully, uh, because this podcast won't land uh, if you're not, if you don't want to still think about and talk about this episode, uh, which is fine. Josh, I'm happy to just talk to you. If nobody cares, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's with me. just, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, uh, sandwiches. You like them? But they're pretty good. Um, right. is a hot dog a sandwich, though? Uh, I, I'm not going to take a, a, a very severe stance on this one way or the other. Probably smart. I don't really care. Yeah. You don't want to, yeah. you don't want a hot dog Twitter coming after you. Um, but I yeah. just want to eat a hot dog. I don't care if it's a sandwich or not, as long as it's delicious. Grace papaya. No. All right. Uh, um, well, grace papaya is hard to get to these days. There's really <laughs> only the one anymore. Uh, anyway, so that's uh, New York, New York, not Canadian, New York, but yeah, this is, uh, this is definitely something I hope people are still thinking about. Uh, and I, I think as you will watch Mr. Robot in the years to come, uh, uh, it's something that you'll think about. I, I do. Um, I think it's interesting. A friend of mine, Lauren, had texted me and said, you know, she had been really talking about the show with her dad. But now that it goes in the specific direction, uh, she it's not the thing that she thought she was selling. Right. Uh, and maybe that's uh, that that's not wrong. Uh, my point in general about this is that is that it's about it's about an abuse victim now like that is that bell is wrong uh, it has always been about an abuse victim but now we know it is um, now that we know it is uh, and i talked about this a little bit at the end of 
the reaction show, I hope it isn't that people feel like they can't relate to Elliot anymore because there's a name to his specific issue. Obviously, those who can specifically relate to the problems that Elliot has experienced with his father, um, they may find him even more resonant now. Uh, But Elliot, the loner, Elliot, the lost in society, Elliot, the person raging uh, at the disconnects of social media and the lying of our heroes uh, and the world as we know it, that Elliot um, shaking his fist at capitalism, that Elliot maybe feels less relatable now that we know that anger comes from his specific place. But I also think that makes a much larger meta point. Um, if we are ignoring Elliot, if we are feeling isolated from him now that he has this specific stigma attached to him, that's us identifying and validating in some ways, in a negative way, the stigma. That's us saying, oh, no, I don't associate with you anymore because you're an abuse victim and I'm not in that way. So I don't really see you as relatable anymore. I don't understand your pain. That is not the point of this show, clearly. But if that's the point that this show makes, if you find Elliot less relatable now because he's an abuse victim, uh, maybe that is something you can sit and think about and ruminate on. Um, Why, if he's an abuse victim, is this something that is making you feel uh, pushed away or making you feel like you don't want to think about it or you don't want to confront it? Um, That is, I think, an interesting point. I'm not sure... Obviously, when Sam Esmail is creating this show, he knows that by revealing this, when he revealed it and how he revealed it, um, it would have an impact. It would have an impact across. Uh, it would have this like simmering impact that we're talking about where some people are going to boil over. Uh, some people are going to stay the way they are. Uh, and I just don't know uh, ultimately where the show will go. So I don't know how that will be. But I really hope the people that feel that Elliot, they, they can no longer really relate to Elliot, um, maybe take a long, hard look at that and realize maybe that's another point um, that Elliot being an abuse victim makes. Uh, And I'm not saying I'm, I'm great about this. I'm not saying I'm, I'm holier than thou or better in this way. Um, But if, if you feel like Elliot is no longer relatable on some level or that you can't relate to his pain, um, maybe this is something we need to think about. And and that, that's something that I think the show is, is at least aware of and cognizant of for sure. I think that one of the uh one of one of like the the hallmark phrases of the series comes fairly early on in Mr. Robot and it's during uh it's during it's during the sequence where Elliot is going through his withdrawal and he's hallucinating his way through the house and uh he eats the fish with Angela and he sees like the little kid and the Farajaka of it all and the line is literally what's your monster right and I think that that's something that is being asked of all of us. Like, what's your monster? What's your pain? Because you have you have a monster. There's, this isn't a question. You have a monster. There is something in your life that is the big bad thing in the closet. You know, there is something in your life that is the boogeyman that lives under the stairs. Uh, I think the boogeyman typically lives in the closet. I don't know. Uh, but I, 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 it's, it's that kind of idea. Mr. on Disney Plus. <laughs> it's, that, it's that kind of idea, though. Of something either happened to you or you have something that you that you experienced in a way that is highly personal that when you think about it, 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 it causes you enormous distress. Um, it may even be something that is very unconscious. Uh, it may be something you were born with, uh, maybe something from your childhood, who knows what it is, but everybody's got a monster. Um, this is Elliot's and I, and I really appreciate the specificity of it. I really, really do. I think that it was really, really beautifully told. I know it was really difficult to watch. Um, it was it was so difficult to watch that I I don't know when I could watch it again. Um, but it was it was magnificently told, and and it does actually it 
it does make me feel closer to Elliot, honestly, in, in some way, because it means like I know him better now. Do you know what I mean? Like I it, it's not even that it's like this you is a specific him. thing. Yeah, it's not that it's like a specific thing that I that I relate to from my own past in this way. Uh, but I, I see him and I and I feel deeply for him. And much like Fernando Vera, I just want to give him a big hug, except I, I don't want to be the king of New York either, like Bill Pullman. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's a, a closeness to Elliot that I that I feel now that I didn't not feel before. But I, I just I feel I feel awful for him in a way where it's like, I, I feel awful for a friend. Uh, and I think that that was the real power behind this reveal. I do. And I, the, the performance obviously was so spectacular. The way it was staged was so spectacular that I don't think there are too many people, uh, who feel, uh, who feel like they don't relate to Elliot as much anymore, but obviously changing the dynamic of the show, uh, is, is what happened here. Um, and that can come with, uh, some, some significant, uh, changes in how you contextualize everything and how you view the show, uh, obviously individual scenes, but also how you recommend the show to someone else. What do you say the show is about? Uh, how do you talk about that? And if you've been selling it as this anti-capitalist hacker drama, um, it is, it is that. It is that, but it is something very different now, uh, so that when you are recommending it to your parents, the conversation is different. Uh, everything changed in the scope of five acts, and uh, nothing changed in terms of the character and the character's motivations. Uh, we know what they are. We know that he's been angry. We know that he's been lonely, but now we know why. As a result, everything changed. And so I guess the question just becomes, like, does, how, how will that change view not only how we view the series as it occurred, which we've already talked about a little bit, but what we expect from the series to come. Uh, Curtis in Cleveland wrote in about that and said, can the show possibly have an even bittersweet ending at this point? This season has been so dark and heavy, it's hard to imagine an ending on anything other than a down note. Have they gone too far down the dark rabbit hole? Uh, what do you think, Josh? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I, I would hope, if anything, uh, what is it that Harvey Dent always says? Antonio, <laughs> it's something like uh, I don't recognize I believe you, it, I Joker, believe it's Rachel. Until you take your uh, nurse mask off, even though I can see your green hair and white makeup and eyes, uh, you have to take your uh, mask off for me to recognize you. That's not it. Yeah, the night is darkest before the dawn. Something like that. Yeah, the night is always darkest before the dawn. Uh, <laughs> is is what he has been known to say. Uh, I still feel like that's probably where we are. More so now. I know that in, in when we were talking four oh six, I was kind of like Elliot. How can we ever? forgive this um and i don't know i i think that he's it's just more complicated than that now uh and like i i regret being so hard on him in in a way because of how awful this was to watch uh it still doesn't excuse what he did to olivia by any stretch of the imagination um but i still think that like this the magnitude of what happened to him how he was wronged as a kid um there needs to be some level of there needs to be some measure of peace with that. There needs to be some settling up on that. And I don't know what that looks like, but I think it can be bittersweet still. Absolutely. I do. It, it definitely can be. Uh, there are a lot of questions still to ask about uh, where that comes in and, and what we're doing with that uh, and what we need uh, from answer, answer standpoints. Uh, some of the things I think we'll find out, uh, for example, um, Steve Booth wrote in and said, uh, does Elliot know why he goes after child exploiters uh, like Ron Ray and Flo Max? How does Darlene's kidnapping story from the past fit? Uh, and 
I think we are going to find uh, some answers on some of those things. Uh, does Darlene know is one as well? Um, don't uh, F with me uh, or FW me. Goat Lives Matter uh, tweeted and said in the flashback scene when Darlene returns to the city, she tells Elliot that she wishes she remembers their dad better. Uh, safe to say she was not abused by him or did not know what he did to Elliot. Um, I think we'll probably find out on some level. I think Elliot coming to grips with this uh, and not wanting to be alone anymore, as he tells Fernando Vera at the end of this episode, I think this fundamentally has to involve Darlene in some way. Do you agree? I do agree. I do agree. I I think she, my feeling is that she doesn't know all the way. She was younger than Elliot. Um, Elliot was, you know, it seems like Elliot was actively protecting her from the abuse is sort of the indication that you get from that story, right? Like he hides her in the closet so that he can stand up against their dad. Um, so I, I don't know, but there is that story about how she ran away. Um, and she didn't want to come back. And the only reason she came back was for Elliot. And was that because she knew that she needed to help protect Elliot or was it because Elliot was, such a good brother because of like the affection that he showed her, the protectiveness that he showed her, that he was just like really there for her. And maybe she, as they've grown up has felt the need to reciprocate that to some degree and has never really fully understood why he was the way that he was maybe has always blamed it on their mother. I know we've got a lot about uh, their mother that we want to talk about in light of this episode. Um, But I think that Elliot and Darlene having some reckoning over what happened to Elliot uh, feels feels right to me but also if elliot chooses not to share it that's interesting to me also um if elliot chooses to to wait with that information or chooses like i'm not ready to talk about this yet with anybody you know that could still be in character granted this is all happening on one really horrible bad christmas day uh so for him to like leave this scene and then go meet up with darlene immediately and they've got work to do critical global uh you know world ending stakes work to do uh he may not be incentivized to tell her what he just learned you know where you can get some uh world ending stakes is ruth's chris (laughs) that's true (laughs) sorry yeah he may not be incentivized he may not he may not even be able to uh do anything like we don't know what he was just screaming at a window and saw a man stabbed in front of him uh he's it it seems like he's gonna need to reboot for sure uh and whether that means he'll miss the deus group meeting i i don't even know like it's possible he will yeah it's possible yeah. he will. So maybe he won't tell Darlene. Uh, maybe maybe he won't. But I do think by the end of the series, we'll probably have some idea about about that, uh, about whether or not uh, Darlene knew about all this. I, I don't think we, we will uh, definitely get that answer, but I think we'll probably have a little more clarity. Um, Darlene, of course, uh, being uh, happy about running away from home, you can... Just read that like you're saying uh, that the mother was bad. Uh, but of course, with with Magda being bad, um, we can we can definitely read that a certain type of way, too. Um, but what about uh, Josh us? What about our role in this? Katie Ann uh, wrote in and, and said, I know one of our favorite theories is that we're the third, though that may have changed this week. But it just brings to the forefront that Elliot has always talked to us like a dear friend until recently. I never had a problem with that, but never really saw the reason for it. But this week, watching him make that real 
realization disturbed me on a level I don't know I've ever felt watching a TV show. I felt like I just watched someone I care about deeply find out the worst worst truth imaginable. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I just want him to be okay. Will he turn to us again now that Mr. Robot is gone? Please make me feel better. Thanks. Uh, I don't know about the... I don't, Josh, can, do you have anything for Katie Ann? Ruth's Chris, maybe? Uh, yeah, I've got free gift certificates. Uh, no, I do not. Ruth's Chris never got back to me. Uh, so I, both of us feel terrible now. That's a bummer, man. It really is a bummer. Um, I, I expect it's, it's likely that, uh, that Elliot will speak to us again. Uh, I think the fact that Mr. Robot seemingly is gone and certainly i think that he's gonna he's he's not gonna like easily manifest again for elliot um and elliot especially if elliot's kind of alone with this information and the way that elliot has always talked to us in the past is like you're seeing this right so you know what's going on i can talk to you about it um it would make some sense to me that elliot's gonna want to talk to us about this and especially because like that could track pretty neatly into Elliot eventually confiding in Darlene once the dust settles on all of this, if these are two of the the survivors of the series, right? If Elliot and Darlene make it all the way through, and part of the breakthrough is Elliot sharing what happened to him with Darlene and her being really there for him, um, and life moving on, and them being able to try and find some semblance of normalcy beyond all of this, um, that that could be a nice segue into him letting us go and thus ending the show. I don't know. Uh, it, it, I we thought about it on the reaction show. Like, will we ever hear any voiceovers? Like, will he talk to us? Will he talk to Mister Robot? Like, how? What will that look like? I, I guess TBD. I don't know that him talking to us would make me feel better or not because we can't talk back, and that's the really rough part of this in this moment. Uh, wanting to hug Elliot is one thing, but him talking to us and needing us and us not being able to respond is quite another. Uh, on a meta level, um, just that 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 structure of the show uh and and all of that uh it really makes you feel a certain type of way because it it's just a thing that really i think katie ann put it very well by saying um that elliot now feels like a very close friend uh hello friend uh this is this is someone who's talked to us throughout and we cannot be there for him now in these very difficult moments it feels all the more rough as a result of that for sure so i'm i'm hopeful that we're going to have some turn on that but i'm not sure that we will um and i'm okay i guess if we don't i just thinking back to what curtis wrote in about even having a bittersweet ending I'm sort of rooting for White Rose at this point. Like, let's make <laughs> yeah. the machine work so that we can restore things. No, so that we can no, fix things. the whole point. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta face reality. I know, I understand on, that. Right? But like, I don't want that's to. a big piece of this too. I don't that's want to. That's a big piece of this. Yeah, I don't want to um, run and hide. I want to run and let's, hide. Let's talk about Magda, and and let's talk about like this this episode unmasked Edward Alderson in this horrible way. Um, but how did it recontextualize Magda, Elliot's mother? We had a couple of comments about this. This was from. Adam Adam wrote in and said, I think the abuse revelations recontextualize Elliot's mom from a cold-hearted, unfit mother to someone who probably felt powerless and ashamed of what had happened to her kids under her watch. I think she definitely knew that there was some abuse, and she, like many people, couldn't prevent it from happening. This new framing of Elliot's childhood makes his mom a much more sympathetic character, in my opinion. Uh, Sarah weighed in on this as well and said, I think Elliot's relationship with Magda made the abuse possible. Often in sexual abuse dynamics, the abuser will take 
advantage of the presence of a bad cop to play the good cop and groom their victim. Elliot's family situation was an ideal atmosphere for an abused to thr- for an abuser to thrive. His mom was cold, harsh, and physically abusive. So of course Edward was the good parent, the one who is Elliot's only friend. It's true to the way that grooming works in these situations, and it's true to how often victims are not believed because people argue that the abused is a nice guy who would never do that. Uh, the abuser is rather. It's a cultivated image that allows the abuser to get away with things or to make the victim feel it's their fault. So there we've got like kind of two portraits potentially of Magda. One where Magda knows what's going on with Edward and is kind of like frozen in place by it and uh, feels powerless and and takes things out on on her kids because of her knowing of the situation or knowledge of the situation. Right. Then there's the, the other potential read that Magda was already uh, like a, a, a really tough mom that she was already somebody that was not exactly um, warm and inviting for, for Elliot. Do you have any strong feelings about how all of this recolors Magda? Well, we talked about the scene in one Oh three where uh, she says he wasn't, I feel fine. Like I, he was weak. Um, calling him weak in that context is uh, certainly a thing. Uh, and whether she's angry and and maybe like in situations like this, she may be jealous of the children, uh, depending on what's going on. Uh, she may blame them for the issues. Uh, so a lot of her treatment may come from that. And then again, uh, a situation could be there where she is uh, her treatment of the children is why Edward is able to quote play good cop uh, and groom uh, Elliot in the way that he did. Uh, and if you want to read it through that lens, uh, you could say it works either way, right? Magda being strict and harsh and horrible the way that she was um, makes it easy for Mr. Robot to be Elliot's quote only friend and prey upon him the way that he did. Uh, or uh, Magda responded the way she did because of Mr. Robot or because of, I should say Mr. Robot, Edward Alderson's treatment. It, it really works either way. What I would say is the telling scene for me is in season two, I think episode nine, where Elliot is out of prison and he goes to see Magda and he basically says to her, you know, when I was locked up, I, I used you. I thought of you. You were really helpful for me. I just wanted you to know that. Uh, and she cannot even talk to him. She's like looking, won't even face him, uh, right. just sitting there silently. I don't believe she was a mute a person at that point. Uh, the lady, after she passed, after Magda passed away this season, the lady in the place where she lived talked about how nice Magda had been to her when she had suffered a loss. I read that silence and I read that silence now as guilt. Uh, and if I read it as guilt, then I read it as her feeling like it was a to go on. But if you look back to the sitcom episode uh, in season three or in season two, um, when you think back to those moments, uh, she's just horrible throughout. So there isn't a good version of her in any of these memories, I don't think, except for maybe at the end of season one. Like the we're inside you and we'll be with you the whole time uh, in Times Square and Elliot looking up at the video screen and all of that. Uh, maybe that's it. Uh, I don't know. I, I, what do you think? I mean, are, is there anything well, one, else that one we're, thing- we're missing here? One thing that comes to mind to me is that scene, um, you think of it as Mr. Robot as Elliot's father in that moment, right? Because that's what we've just learned in that moment, that, that you know, big image at Times Square uh, and like young Elliot saying, like, you can't leave us and we won't leave you. Uh, and then like you see at the end of the season premiere for the final season um, when Elliot is overdosing and it seems like he's about to die uh, and he sees like across the room, you see Mr. Robot with Magda and with young Elliot. And I think even then in, in that moment, 
you're still kind of thinking about them as a family unit. And instead, it's almost like maybe Elliot is maybe that's Mr. Robot, like keeping a certain image of who they really are away from Elliot. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe it's maybe it's not the family unit we're looking at. Like maybe it's not instructive at all when you see those three characters together to look at it as Magda, Elliot and Edward, but really Magda, Elliot and effectively Elliot again uh, in the form of Edward, in the form of Mr. Robot and Mr. Robot by wanting to protect Elliot from the severity of just how awful his father is, is keeping Elliot maybe from remembering some more, at least like sympathetic views of his mom of like having a little bit of empathy for what she must've been going through as well. Definitely. Uh, uh, it, Darlene also hates her, right? Uh, and Darlene won't even speak to her at all. Elliot used her in the way that he used her. I think that's important to think about that. He used her as, this, uh, is this image, uh, of how to cope with being in prison, uh, and building that little perfect, uh, organization that he built in his mind, uh, to detach from where he was. Um, that in and of itself was a form of blocking, uh, the emotions of a situation and not dealing with them in the way, uh, not letting them in and not confronting them that he used his mom in that context. It does make you wonder, um, are his memories of his mom in, in another context uh, used in a certain way, uh, so that that's what he thinks about instead of something else. Uh, it, it's an open question. His mom not being alive means it's, it's going to be more difficult to answer. Uh, I don't know that there's anything sitting around out there uh, other than maybe flashbacks that can help us fill this in. There is the potential side A of the cassette tape from earlier in the season uh, that for some reason Magda was keeping at her room uh, in the uh, old folks home or whatever you want to call it, uh, where she was living, convalescent home, senior center, whatever right. it was. Um, she was keeping that for some reason. What was in the safe deposit box? Are we ever going to find out? Uh, Maybe there is an ability with some of that stuff to get some more answers. I'm not expecting that we will. It doesn't feel like a thing where I'm thinking, man, if I don't find out what's on side A, man, if I don't find out what was in that safe deposit box, I'm going to be angry. But I think there at least is a small possibility that those things that are linked to his mom and his childhood and his family may come back into this story. Um, I would feel a lot better about that if I didn't think that the story was just going to cover the last few days of 2015, that we were going to have more time here. Um, I don't know if it's easily going to come back in the story in the next few days of 2015, unless White Rose is somehow involved or there's some other shoe to drop in that way. Um, But at least those are hanging out there um, that maybe can give us some more about Magda. Or maybe now that Elliot has broken this down... um, Maybe he will, as you're talking about, uh, start to look at uh, Magda in a different way. I, I guess TBD, but it's definitely something that as I look over the next six episodes, um, it's on my radar for sure, uh, is are we going to ever fill those blanks in? I don't feel like I need it. We can finish this series and I can say, you know what? I don't know if Magda was the way she was because she knew about Edward or if her being the way she was made it easier for Edward. I, I don't I don't necessarily need to answer that. I think because we have the Magda stuff here in this season of Mr. Robot, she's shown up on screen. We had the whole episode uh, where she passed away. 
I do think we're she's going at to the get boardroom. The boardroom. His she's in the boardroom. Board Good point. Right? You know? yeah, we're going to get some yeah. more of that. So uh, she'll be present in that. And, in, and and by the way, in the boardroom, she's not abusing him. Uh, she's not happy with him. Uh, she's being a little bit stern with him, but she's not putting out cigarettes on him. So that's a little bit different version of Magda than we've seen. Uh, so maybe the boardroom conclusion, uh, that's a really good point, uh, will bring us that clarity. Who knows? Um, how about Mr. Robot himself? Uh, lots of questions about whether or not we've seen the last of Mr. Robot. Edward Morris wrote in about that. Fitzy uh, weighs in on that, wondering if Elliot still needs Mr. Robot after this episode. Um, T.U.N. wrote in and said, do we think that Elliot's ever going to be able to see Mr. Robot as separate from his father? Would he ever be able to forgive Mr. Robot, which really means forgiving himself? I think that this is the kind of thing, Antonio, where when you've got six episodes left, uh, in your final season of your series, this is a moment where we can we can actually I, I I think we're at a moment where like you can you can say that Mr. Robot is on the back burner at the very least. Um, I don't think that he needs to be in every episode moving forward. I think that there still is so much story material on the table that doesn't require Mr. Robot himself to actually be there. And especially when Christian Slater plays a totally different character outside of Mr. Robot, um, that 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 attention can shift. That being said, I think that some reconciliation between Elliot and Mr. Robot needs to, uh, to occur to Tewin's point of will Elliot ever be able to forgive Mr. Robot, which really means himself. I do think that that probably requires Christian Slater playing Mr. Robot. So I do expect that we will see him again at some point. I just don't know about imminently. I think it might take some time. I agree. Uh, I, I would not expect that we'll see him imminently uh, at all. Um, this is weird because if you think about Christmas Day 2015, we are going on now five episodes that have taken place over the course of one single day. That's massive uh, and significant. And what it means to me is we can take a beat uh, and we can go one or two episodes without seeing Mr. Robot. And I think that will be fine. Uh, and in the context of the show, it may only cover one or two hours. So it's not a huge deal if that happens. Uh, if we go through the Deus group without Mr. Robot, or maybe Mr. Robot comes back uh, in the Deus group uh, in some way, shape or form. Uh, if there's a great dramatic scene there or some kind of uh, stage like uh, staged caper or something like before. I mean, remember, we did not see Mr. Robot in the dialogue free episode either. Uh, so it is, there are ways in which the show cannot use Mr. Robot and find ways to bring him back later. Uh, we're at a point now where him running away means I think he's going to be gone for a while, but I would expect we would see him before the end of the series for sure. Uh, although it was interesting in this episode, uh, we had some feedback about whether Mr. Robot was disappearing. Just Joe wrote in and said, did you guys notice different parts of Mr. Robot's costume disappearing each time it showed him during the conversations between Elliot and Krista? I got to say, Josh, when I rewatched, I did notice the hat goes. I know... The hat and scarf on Mr. Robot are a thing. Uh, some people believe that there's the, the version of Edward Alderson without the hat and scarf. Uh, Scott Dring wrote in and talked about this, uh, is the other one, uh, and that the version of Mr. Robot that has the hat and scarf is a different version. Uh, you have famously made light of the Mr. Robot without his glasses on. <laughs> yeah, when he like, takes them off to wipe them off. Yeah. yeah, there are these versions of the character of Mr. Robot who have various states of his wardrobe. That said, um, he did take the hat off. He did 
did lose uh, the scarf. He had the jacket and still uh, in this episode, but he was sort of disintegrating. And then when he says, I can't protect you anymore, he doesn't, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good, but he's gone. Uh, he kind of walks out of frame. And we don't see him again. Uh, and his role was to protect Elliot. Um, that doesn't mean that we won't see him again, but it, I think it does mean that his role is going to have to be different. And I think Christian Slater as Edward Alderson, uh, we're definitely going to see. Uh, let's talk about Fernando Vera. This oh, is please. a character yes. that is that is getting lost in the shuffle in our discourse about uh, 407 proxy authentication required. Uh, Elliot Villar is Fernando Vera. A uh, controversial figure to have back in the final season, but maybe some opinions are changing. Uh, this came our way from Justin Curry. By bringing back Vera this season and having what happened to him last episode, do you guys feel like it was a perfect ending for the character, or should he have never come back? Personally, I think it was perfect, says Justin. Um, Jennifer, who had been critical about the uh, the return of Fernando Vera, uh, heel turn as it, as it pertains to Fernando Vera. Uh, Vera uh, Jennifer writes and it says after episode seven I stand corrected I hated Vera's character so much that I desperately tried to think of another character who could do what he did in this episode forcing Krista and Elliot together so Elliot could have this big realization but no one could have done that Darlene's too equally damaged Leon's too chill Tyrell is dead at least maybe it had to be Vera and damn it the motive was perfect too Sam Esbell set up that motive back when Vera first showed up in season one and after Elliot's horrible sickening realization it looked like Vera was going to get what he wanted but then in comes Krista for the win, killing Vera with the same knife that was used to kill Shayla. I now know to reserve all judgment until this series is over. I'm just glad there's a week for me to process this because if I were binge watching the season, I'd have to stop here to breathe. This new revelation changes everything and it puts the whole tone of the series uh, into change. Somehow I have to work today. Where did I put that Xanax yeah. again? Jennifer wrote in about the Xanax before. Jennifer Xanax yes. is the third altar, I think. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I felt again, once again, when Xanax was brought up before, I felt the same exact way. Um, but yeah, I think that the we, we talked about this last time, too, that I feel like Vera was the agitator that this situation needed. Uh, there was there's something unique about Vera in his standing with Elliot, where this is somebody who claims to have Elliot's back and to have some love for Elliot, sort of in the same way that Tyrell does, um, but has proven with his actions otherwise on almost every single occasion, right? Like he killed Shayla and everything that he's ever done has just been so violent and aggressive. It's funny. You think about the rogues gallery in, in Mr. Robot, all of the bosses that Elliot has had to fight. They kind of all love Elliot. <laughs> yeah. Craig Robinson basically thanks him uh, when he you know? reports his website to the FBI. You know, there's like almost like to some degree, some of these people, like when they meet their end, there's like some measure of relief because they were they were impacted by Elliot before they went. Uh, I find that interesting. That's something that I was I, I literally just started thinking about just now. It's, it's um, definitely true. Uh, and it is. There is a connection. Vera says it. You point out just now that Vera is sort of needed as this agitator. That resonates with me on a few levels. One is that Krista knew about this. Uh, she knew, by the way, when she said to Vera, she didn't know what else she could tell him to, to get uh, him to not kill her, essentially. She said, ask him about Mr. Robot. Go look at that file. That's going to be what you need. She knew that this train was heading down the tracks because Krista knew through her therapy that Elliot was hiding something. 
She knew there was childhood trauma, that it was related to Mr. Robot. That's why he relied on Mr. Robot. Elliot's got a secret. The only way I can unlock it is to find out why Mr. Robot exists, was what was in her notes. So when she says to Vera, look look up for Mr. Robot, she's saying, this is his weak point. I haven't been able to figure it out yet, uh, but if you're pressing, this is what you're looking for. Uh, And sure enough, Vera is needed in that agitating way because... Krista was unable to do this in therapy. Uh, Every uh, one of her sessions with Elliot uh, did not get to this point, even though she has those moments where she asks Elliot those telling questions that break down the reality around him. Elliot, where do you think you are right now? Uh, She has had those breakthrough moments with Elliot in those ways, but she just has not been able to unlock this door. So Vera is needed as that agitator, but the overall meta view of Vera or where you look at Vera just from a structural standpoint is, I say meta because it is expressed by Fernando Vera in this episode, in Act 3 when Elliot, which by the way, Act 3 is the shortest one of the five acts when Elliot pulls the gun out of his book bag uh, and he says he's going to, you know, he holds the gun on Vera and Vera's uh, goons and Vera says, you don't have it in you. And Elliot pulls the trigger. And Vera basically says, look, the old Elliot wouldn't have done that. Uh, I like to think that I'm responsible for this turn in you. Uh, and I think that's true to an extent, right? That the Elliot that was impacted by having to be the one that let all those people out of jail and it not saving Shayla to begin with by feeling like his drug addiction was why Shayla ever interacted with Vera in the first place, that Elliot put her on a crash course for death in the way that he did. He feels responsible. So of course, once that all happens, um, he is definitely going to be impacted by that. Uh, We've never seen him kill anyone directly on the screen, uh, but he's certainly willing to do it when it comes to Vera. I think that's a very important thing, because if you think about Act 5 of this episode, um, that is the resolution with Elliot and Vera, and that's Elliot and and Vera really bonding, and Vera trying to rebuild him. Uh, Vera saying, once you weather a storm like yours, you become the storm. You are the storm. Your power is beautiful, Elliot. It's special. Don't you believe Believe that? Uh, do you want to believe it? Uh, Elliot in Act Four, uh, or maybe it's at the beginning of Act Five. Uh, Vera tries to hug Elliot, and Elliot right. pushes him away and says, "No touching." But then when they go into the other room, uh, Vera's hands are all over Elliot, and Elliot is not reacting in any way. He is definitely getting through to Elliot on some level uh, when Elliot has been broken in the way that he has. Uh, so. I think that there's an interesting connection between these two characters that I think this episode explained very well. The acting is so good. Uh, it is so, so, so good uh, that I hope everyone that's involved in this episode gets recognized for it. But that really increases the bond as well. That fifth act, I mean, even if you don't watch Act four again, which is a really upsetting one. Um, the fifth act, I think, is really interesting on some level, uh, because that is the one with Elliot screaming into the windows and Vera trying to rebuild him and Vera and Elliot bonding on that level. Uh, it's just, it's really powerful. And I think it's really interesting to think about, um, if, if it hadn't ended the way it ended, what would have happened? Was Elliot really close to joining with Vera? Um, did he even see that, that Krista was coming? Uh, don't F with me goat lives matter uh, wrote in again and said some people including the reviewer for the new york times think elliot saw krista creep up on vera and that he stayed silent so vera wouldn't see the attack coming the way i saw it elliot was seconds away from being totally mind effed to join up with vera what did you think about that josh do you i mean i know you didn't rewatch, but 
Yeah, I was going to say, having rewatched it, uh, what it, did you did you feel like that that lines up? Because I'm trying to like place my memory of where Elliot is sitting. Where, where is his? What is his view of the room as it pertains to Vera? Yeah, he would probably see Krista coming. No. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, so he's just like, okay, so this guy's about to die. I don't think there's any way he didn't see her coming, whether he processed it or not. You see uh, his eyes moving around yeah. the room. Uh, I don't yeah. think there's any. I, I put in my notes in all caps. Elliot had to see Krista. I just don't think that he could have avoided it based on how they were situated. Maybe Vera's body was completely blocking her, but I sort of doubt that he missed her walking into the room. That he missed her at least a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's possible. Uh, so that's great then. Right. Because like I feel like that that for me is uh, it, it's I know it's weird to say that, like allowing your therapist to murder this person right in front of you is a sign of hope and optimism. But I kind of think that it is in insofar as like it signals that even after this huge life change for Elliot, um, having to be face to face with his unmasked monster, um, that he still trusts somebody. He still trusts Krista. He still trusts that in this moment her doing what she's about to do is the right thing in this situation. And that means that his, his sense of place and his sense of what's right and what's wrong um, is still at least somewhat intact, um, which I feel good about. I feel good about it too. I feel good as well that it was the knife, the specific knife. Uh, yes, that was great. That was his brother's knife uh, that was used ultimately uh, with Shayla that uh, ultimately came back around on Vera. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that uh, for sure. I, uh, I'm, I got to admit when I rewatched it after that, it, it's so crazy because in act, uh, I don't know if it's act two or three, but when Vera is really turning the screws and threatening Elliot, um, the way he does it is by being such a horrible person. It's an act two, uh, to Krista. He calls it taking her temperature, uh, puts his hand up her skirt. It's so horrible. Uh, and he is the guy who killed Shayla. And yet, after Elliot has that revelation, I feel like this is exactly what he needs. He needs someone to be there for him. He needs someone to care about him. And I, and I'm, the thing is, I totally forgot or was that this was all manipulated by Vera, that this was Vera's goal to break him so he could own him, uh, that he, so he could build him back up. Uh, I didn't even think about that because I was so caught up in everything that happened in act four. So I was a little torn, uh, when Vera got killed and it's a credit to the performance. Um, and it's a credit to just everything, uh, that the character came back into the story and how the character was used. I, I really, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was definitely a ride. Bobby wrote in, and talked about how this show loosely uh, was connected to the uh, Kubler-Ross five stages of grief in the five yeah. acts. I don't even know if it's loosely. I, it, it really maps for me. Uh, the five stages of the Kubler-Ross model being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Denial is uh, the hardest one, I think, to pin down. Yeah, that's why it doesn't go as well for me. Uh, you know what? Actually, no, I got it. I got it. So, so, you know, Vera, you know, peacocks at Elliot and is like saying all of this stuff that he wants to, to get Elliot's help on. And he, he monologues so, so long and so fiercely at Elliot. And Elliot's like, nothing happens until you convince me that Krista's alive. So he's denying him. Yeah, he just keeps saying, where's Krista? Where's Krista? Where's Krista? Exactly, exactly. And the second one is ag anger. Yeah, act two, anger makes a lot of sense. Mr. Robot comes out to play. Uh, there's a lot of uh, fury in the moments where Vera is uh, threatening Krista physically, directly assaulting her sexually. Uh, that is all, that all tracks. Uh, act three, bargaining is literally like the, okay, I screwed up, I shouldn't have 
have tried to shoot you. Let's go back to the way that we were. That fits. It's also, hey, let me try to get you in on our plan here. Let me show you all this money right. that I can rob. Uh, so there is definitely a, an offer uh, that is being extended there. So the bargaining is there. Depression, Act 4. You don't need to convince anybody on that one. Um, and Act 5, acceptance is that's the idea that Vera is trying to sell Elliot on, at least, right? Of like, you're the storm now, and everybody else needs to batten down the hatches. And whether or not Elliot believes that is is up for debate. Um, but we we are left at the end of the episode with no choice but to accept the information that Elliot has just learned. So the five stages of grief, a million percent map onto this five act episode. Yeah. And to Bobby's credit, Bobby did not write the word loosely in the feedback. Uh, I added that. Uh, Bobby said, hey, guys, big fan of the podcast. Just wanted to finally write in after processing this episode and rewatching it a few times. The way the five acts broke up the episode followed the Kubler-Ross five stages of grief, and it was done beautifully. Sam took us through the cycle of emotions like nothing I've ever seen done on screen before. Everything about this episode screamed Broadway. And as the minutes passed, I didn't care about any other characters or plot lines, but the ones going on in these two rooms. Elliot Villar stole the show as Vera. The way the shots were framed, the lighting, everything about this episode was perfect. If there was any episode to define this show, I think this one was it. Uh, and I think that works on multiple levels uh, in terms of defining the show for sure, as we've been talking about. It didn't just follow the five stages of grief for some people. Uh, some people wanted to talk about how it connected to Hitchcock's rope. Uh, I definitely am a, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Alfred Hitchcock. It's definitely my first cinematic love and one I've kept with me throughout my whole life. Um, Howard wrote in and said, as a major league film buff, this episode immediately reminded me of the classic Hitchcock film Rope. Uh, as you're probably aware, that film was presented in a similar stage play atmosphere. It was filmed almost entirely in one continuous take with absolutely no cuts whatsoever. When movement shifted from room to room, the camera either traveled through the doorway with the character or moved overhead, exactly as Sam Esmail did in this episode. And the music Esmail employs here is eerily reminiscent of the soundtrack used by Hitch. Both begin with a trunk. Elliot is thrown in one in 407, and the dead body is hidden in one in rope. And both have similar, almost silent, fade-out finale after the final reveal. Um, Alex Bayer also wanted us to talk about uh, the, the connections to rope. Um, right. Rope was based on a stage play, uh, and it is it was adapted and shot in a very similar way. Uh, the long take structure that is talked about there uh, was definitely present. Uh, Hitchcock did some very clever things, which I think Sam Esmail did in the single take episode as well, even though uh, it was, uh, for all intents and purposes, a one shot. Um, there were some hidden edits here, and I believe in Rope the reasons the edits were hidden and they occur like a character. Um, uh, they would, the camera would go on a character's back as it moved around the room and it would black out for a second and it would allow them to change reels. And I think part of the reason why is there was only so much film in one canister of film. And so you couldn't just shoot an hour of film in one canister of film. You had to change the canisters no matter what you wanted to do. Um, and so that is ultimately why Hitchcock worked these uh, hidden cuts into rope, but otherwise it was presented like a play. Um, the lighting changes, uh, the, the sun in fact sets near the end of rope. Uh, and there were all these great things that go on there. Uh, thematically, uh, it's not, it's not the most directly connected thing. Uh, rope involves, uh, it's connected to the Leopold and Loeb murders. Um, there are these like, uh, philosophical ideals that are present throughout. Uh, it was, it was made, uh, it was released in like 1948. Uh, so Nietzsche tied in and like all these 
these things that were this, the discussions in World War II uh, about like super races or super people. Um, they're the, the the subtext of all of that that was happening. Uh, but it was a murder that was covered up, and then people were invited over or showed up, and they were the murder was essentially hidden from them, and that's what goes on in the movie. Uh, but the it's just it there's definitely a connection in terms of shooting it uh, like a stage play. I don't know. I don't remember specifically the music from Rope, but I, what I can say is Bernard Herrmann did most of Hitchcock's most famous scores. Uh, Bernard Herrmann, Herrmann probably uh, the, the, the film composer that I, I have remembered the best throughout my lifetime. Uh, and Bernard Herrmann did not do the music for Rope, but this music uh, that was present throughout this episode, and I believe it's all Mac Quayle's music. I think so as well. I think so as well. Really I mean, Esmail has certainly used, um, in home homecoming uh the amazon show uh he he definitely was using music from hitchcock scores uh i i think here and there at the very least i, I think there was no original music for homecoming it was all it was all lifted directly from from classic thrillers yes. so it wouldn't be uh you know a, a, a tool that's you know that's a tool that's in his toolbox like it's definitely possible that he used that weapon here um but i'm i don't i don't want to rob matt quayle of credit i'm i'm pretty sure that this was original scoring i think so too i didn't hear any recognizable hitchcock music in this the way i did uh hearing like the vertigo score uh in or music from the conversation uh in homecoming like that was that was a great really cool thing about uh homecoming Uh, but i don't i don't recall um some of that stuff uh i don't recall anything in this any cues or any tracks in this particular episode uh being linked directly to someone else i think it's all mac quail but it is in that style. Uh, and that's the thing I was going to say is whether or not um, Rope was not a Bernard Herrmann film, and you may associate Bernard Herrmann with Hitchcock music-wise, uh, but thriller music, suspense music, that type of old-fashioned film score type music is certainly what was on display here. Uh, the strings play a huge part, obviously, in everything that's happening. It is more orchestral than it is electronic, for example, uh, like a lot of the Mr. Robot score. That doesn't mean it wasn't Matt Quayle. I do believe it was. Um, this is from, uh, Jill had written in and said, I wish that the line, let's give him a show. Speaking of a stage play, uh, I wish the line, let's give him a show would not have been in this episode because that's leading some people to believe that the abuse story was just a concocted story. I think it's clear it happened, but that line is unfortunate because we question everything already. Antonio, is this a take that you've been seeing a lot from people, whether it's on like the, the Mr. Robot subreddit or just on, on Twitter? Are you seeing a lot of takes from people who are, who are not believing that this happened to Elliot, that there is some sort of twist still to come. I don't, I have seen that. Um, we had, uh, we had a couple people, uh, writing about that. Uh, I have not, I don't believe that this is the thing. And this is not, uh, this is not a criticism, uh, of, of anyone individually, uh, because so much of the show and so much of this podcast has relied on theories, but not everything has to have a twist to it. There doesn't have to be a twist to a twist. I understand why in that, in that scene. So what's happened, uh, the let's give her let's give her a show is the beginning of Act Four, so it is the beginning of the act where uh, the abuse story is revealed. Uh, and what's happening is Vera is agitating really hard. Elliot is trying to get Krista on board uh, with participating in a quote unquote therapy session, and so Elliot says to Krista, he wants a show. Let's give him a show. And Vera says, Yeah, let me get the popcorn, basically. Like, and Elliot then says, Like, well, if we're going to do therapy, or Krista says, if we're going to do therapy, like, it needs to be. Between 
between two people. I think she's trying to clear the room. Um, that's what leads uh, Vera to send his goons away. Uh, but I, I don't think that I feel like Elliot is pleading with Krista there. It is not a plan to lie. The other thing I would say is Krista's notes, which Vera is reading throughout. Uh, really speak to that. Um, we had a really good uh, email from Sarah East about this. And Sarah said, I think it's pretty disheartening and upsetting how some people on Reddit are saying this was all just a show they put on for Vera. I'm positive Sam Esmail would not do that. It would be so wrong to have a raw and incredibly painful revelation of sexual assault turn into just another gotcha moment. And yet there are so many threads of people thinking that's what's going on. I had to log off Reddit because it was depressing. It made me feel like victims will always be questioned. It's also absurd to me that they think that Elliot is that good of a liar. The same Elliot who could barely say I'm Sam Sepio in season one, episode five. Is that good of an actor? Maybe I'm being too sensitive. I don't know. I will say Elliot's a really good liar. We know that. Um, He's lied to himself. He's lied to us over the course of the entire prison reveal. Um, But that emotion was real. That was not faked emotion. Uh, And I agree with everything Sarah said about Sam Esmail and why it would feel like such a violation. It would it would be awful. It would be it would be awful. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way that that's yeah. what's happening. I love Reddit. I love the Mr. Robot subreddit. Uh, I don't agree with every theory that's posted there. Clearly, some people take it uh, to the nth degree, uh, and some of the theories there completely nail the show. So I still find a lot of value in it. But I understand the frustration with the constant uh, theorizing when it does not feel like something that resonates to you. And this one certainly does not for me. No, absolutely not. I think what what we what we get in this information uh, in this information that's revealed in this episode is is a real turnkey moment for our understanding of Elliot Alderson. Uh, and I, I think the sooner that people who are watching this show get on board with believing it, um, I think the more connected we're going to be to the end game of the of the story. Um, because I buy it. I, I, there's no, there is not a single bone in my body that doesn't think that that's exactly what happened to, to Elliot, unfortunately. I agree. Um, it, it was a twist. And by virtue of it being a twist, and even though, especially when you rewatch it, you can see it coming down the pike from the beginning of the episode. Mr. Robot, every time he shows up, you're like, oh, he's just trying to downplay this. Oh, he's trying to deflect. Oh, he doesn't want this to come up. Even not just in Act 4, just throughout. Uh, there are these moments. Uh, when Vera says, for example, oh, I get it. Like, she's your shaman. Uh, Mr. Robot's like, what, what does that mean? Like, he's angry. Like, he doesn't want that to be a thing that happens. Uh, it's possible that Mr. Robot is the one who pushed Krista away to begin with, obviously, uh, for all of these reasons. Um, I think Taylor makes a really good point. Uh, Taylor sent us a very uh, long email uh, about uh, some interactions that she had, I believe, in a Facebook group um, asking about why wasn't there a trigger warning posted before the episode. Mm, yeah. um, I can understand the sensitivity of that. Uh, obviously, um, that would have maybe affected the reveal, but that is something something we see in TV shows now. Um, I don't, I can't remember if we've seen one on Mr. Robot or not. Uh, but yeah, I, I understand why there would want to be some, there, there's a, there's a discussion to be had around that, around whether or not putting one there affects the power of the reveal. And if the power of the reveal makes you think a certain type of way, uh, because you're so linked to Elliot and the reveal comes as such a surprise, uh, maybe you feel more sensitive to abuse victims in your life. I can see the argument either way for including 
including or not including a warning like that. Uh, and I think Taylor wanted to have that discussion and was felt really bad about the treatment that Taylor received. Um, Taylor also pointed out, and I think not unfairly, that the title card at the end was about domestic violence uh, and that you could easily have put up a title card for rain. Uh, the rain number is 1-800-656-4673. If you know anyone uh, who may need that or if you need it yourself, if you ever need to talk to anyone, that's the National Sexual Assault Hotline for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Uh, So I think there could have been, um, there there are discussions to be had uh, about whether or not, um, you know, this show handled all of those aspects correctly or as well as it could have. Um, But I think, um, I think the wrong way to look at this is that this was all just a trick. Um, That is not something, even if the show maybe doesn't nail it inch perfectly in terms of the handling of the subject material, and I'm not criticizing what they did. uh, I think that the show would never uh, violate it in that way for sure. Yeah. It's a tough episode. Yeah. This is a, this is a tough episode. It's a heavy episode. It, this is a dark show. This is a heavy show. This is a difficult show to grapple with because the, the story, it's, it's twisty. It's turny. There's a lot of knots to untie. Um, but this was, this was like difficult on that like gut level. This is difficult on that like punch you directly in the heart level. Uh, how do you survive a punch to the heart? Is <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's tough. That's a it really that's is a fierce, it's like a Street Fighter a Two kind blow. of thing. Yeah, fierce, fierce blow. That's more Mortal Kombat. Oh, I sorry, yeah, it's like. a fatality. Uh, but I think like uh, there, there were <laughs> there were some people who wanted to send in some feedback to make us laugh a little bit. Mal had written it and said, "So stress does weird things to your brain." For a moment before the big reveal, I had the thought that Elliot's third might be Kevin McAllister, the snowman. In my head, he looked like the <laughs> snowman from the 90s horror movie Jack Frost. Um, amazing. Was Jack Frost a 90s horror movie? Is that the Michael Keaton movie? That's what I'm thinking. No? I, I'm trying I to remember. I don't think that that was a horror movie. I think that was a family movie. No, it's it's. <laughs> there's a great episode of the podcast, How Did This Get Made? Uh, I highly recommend you listen, especially this holiday season. Listen to the Jack Frost episode if you can find it in there. Uh, maybe they'll repost it in their feed or if you have access to some of the stuff that's paywalled uh, or if you can find it on YouTube or somewhere else on like online. That is a hilarious episode because that movie is outrageous uh, the tonally the tone of that movie i can understand why mal calls it a horror movie uh it is it is a messed up weird movie uh no doubt about it that said look, can we talk about this, this jack frost is michael keaton yeah Kelly preston and it's a sweet it's no. a sweet tale about how no. snow dad is better than no dad no <laughs> The line for the movie. Oh, yeah. I understand that that's what you think it's about, and that's fine. Uh, I just, I encourage you. Robert Baratheon's in it. Pull up the IMDb page for that and look at his face on the cover of the poster, and you tell me that's not a horror movie. Yeah, Um, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I see where you're at. It's a killer ride. It's a killer ride, that's for sure. Uh, It is very, very odd. I Just in general, I can't wrap my head around, and like I said, I know I love the Mr. Robot subreddit. I cannot wrap my head around, and we haven't talked a ton on this podcast. Uh, We talked on the reaction show about how we think at this point now the read for the other one is that it's Edward Alderson. Uh, but everyone keeps talking about an alter, a third personality, that it's Vera, that it's Darlene, that it, how, how is that ever going to be possible? Like what, how, I don't think so. how could I don't it think be so. Kevin McAllister? How can it be QWERTY? These people that think it's QWERTY, like I don't understand in, in my brain. I don't understand. My brain can't be wrapped. I can't wrap it around that, like, that it could be something like QWERTY, that it could be something thing like Kevin McAllister. I just, it's funny to me because I just can't get my head around it. 
No, I, I am, I am really here for the idea that uh, Mr. Robot was messing with Elliot during Darlene saying Vera's back in town, and you, you get for me like you get all the evidence that you could possibly need for that in this scene where Mr. Robot's once again lying to Elliot. So we know that like even like this like most recent Mr. Robot is still willing to lie to Elliot if it means preserving his existence in Elliot's life and being able to continue protecting Elliot. So is the through line there that Mr. Robot would have lied to Elliot at that time because he foresaw that Vera would crack this code? Or that like Vera is some kind of danger that threatens to destabilize the existence of Mr. Robot for Elliot. Yeah. Uh, you know, may, maybe Mr. Robot, maybe Elliot recognizing some measure of himself in in Vera, right? Like maybe, I mean, we know that Elliot does the deep dives into everybody. And when he does a deep dive into Vera in the first season, doesn't he say like, this is one of the worst people I've ever had? Yeah. So he knows like every single detail Clickety about clack. Vera. Like what, what about Vera's past? Does he know how much of it is resonant with if he like can look that far inward or at least the Mr. Robot piece of him knows that stuff? Um, so it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if Mr. Robot senses that Vera would be, uh, would lead him directly into the storm that would take him out of the picture forever. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Uh, it's possible that that would have to be the read for why he would cover that up or just generally that he feels like any interaction with Vera, uh, is not going to end well. That said, it's a very dangerous read, right? Because it's very dangerous to say, we're going to leave this guy on the board. Uh, the, the, the story that we're telling at the beginning of this season is that Elliot is single minded in his purpose, that Elliot is so dedicated to taking down White Rose and Cypress National Bank and the Deus Group and that Mr. Robot is committed to that, but to a point, Mr. Robot doesn't want Elliot to charge into that building that E Corp owns, uh, where Freddie Lomax had given the address, uh, and Elliot is looking for this character that isn't there and he ends up in the honeypot like mr robot is the one arguing for caution in these moments Uh, if that's mr robot that elliot needs to also be protected from danger in general from life-threatening danger then i'm not sure that mr robot leaves vera out there in the ether coming after elliot i just especially when vera knows where elliot lives every moment that elliot spends at that apartment is a moment where this psycho who has killed someone in your direct orbit and who has kidnapped you before and threatened and killed people around you may do that again i just it's harder for me to believe that mr robot actively ignores that when his role is to protect Elliot. So I, I think the door is still open for a third, a third version uh, in, in terms of Elliot. Uh, but I, I just don't, I don't understand how it could be a fish. Like, so Elliot, so Darlene told the fish, like I, the fish is not even around anymore. Like some of these things I don't get, I, they're, they're probably jokes. I don't think people ultimately take them all seriously, all of these alter theories, but I think people are still, what I can tell about Reddit is it seems like a lot of people are still obsessed with this aspect of the show. Who was the alter? What about the other one? And I've just sort of lost the plot on that. I don't care about it as much anymore in light of what we just saw that does recontextualize the whole show in a way that a third character review uh, that's what I was expecting. I was expecting something to do that. And now this thing that happened has done that. So I'm not still looking around behind every corner for a third personality, even though there are things that don't completely add up to me, even though they may add up to you. So TBD, I guess I keep saying that, um, but it's because this yeah. show, it could change. Com- the, it just changed completely. It could change completely again next week. 
All right. Well, uh, before we start looking ahead to next week, is there any feedback you want to get into? Anything that we left on the table? Why did uh, Sarah Slothanova wrote in and said, uh, can we talk about how hilarious the bit was when Varen as goons tried to save a Klempt? Uh, <laughs> where did he pull that right. from? He, I mean, he used a, uh, I think, a racial slur, uh, a modified racial slur to say where he heard it from. Uh, but it is, I guess that's just New York. It's a, it's a melting pot. So a Dominican guy can go uh, to the Dominican Republic come back to New York, he can be there with Hasidic Jews uh, and pick up some of their lingo and try to say it because it is more appropriate than anything he can think of on his own. Uh, yeah, we haven't acknowledged young MA as peanuts. I don't think we've really talked about that. Uh, I, I'm not a super, uh, I'm not a super fan. I don't stand young MA necessarily, but young MA was fantastic as peanuts. What happened to peanuts and Javi Antonio? Are they the new Mobley and Trenton? Are, is, is this, uh, do we need to like pour all of our energy into a summoning circle around uh, peanuts and Javi so that they're going to be okay? A new son and daughter. Uh, no, I yes. don't think so. Um, yeah, Young M.A. was great. Uh, and Young M.A. and Javi both wanted to, Peanuts and Javi both wanted to see what was happening. <laughs> they were like, I, I want to see how this plays out, actually. Now I'm a little curious at the beginning of Act 4 there. So I thought that was actually pretty funny. Um, Vera sent them away. How far they go away? Are they done with the show? Uh, it will be... It will be interesting to see. I don't, I think what happened with Vera makes total sense. Krista doing it makes total sense. The power, uh, and the ability to do that. I, I like that. I like that Elliot still hasn't killed, uh, because there is some, the bullet may be in the chamber for White Rose still, uh, that is Elliot's bullet. So I like all of that. I don't know how we end up with a scenario where, where Peanuts and Javi come back and Elliot and Krista don't end up dead. So I, I got to imagine that Krista and Elliot are somehow going to escape that peanuts and Javi took a break and they're gone and Elliot and Krista will be able to get out of there. I'm sure that I'm saying this now next episode is going to be even more violent. So uh, who knows? There's a dead body in Krista's apartment now though. <laughs> yeah. They're going to have to deal with that. Is that Krista's apartment by the way? That. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, that's her yeah, therapy room. Absolutely. There. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we just, absolutely. we haven't seen the upstairs. Uh, Krista came down from upstairs at the beginning of the uh, wordless episode. So uh, I don't got know. that home office yeah, life. Maybe, maybe oh, you like, that life is that a good life it's a good life but uh, you don't have that home. You, you got a real you got the office now i got the i got the real office yeah. but i still work from home every once oh, in a that's while good. uh chris has the nice setup though yes she's got, she's got she's, she's doing great except doing for great. this is why it's a bad thing because when your work comes uh and i think this was the same thing with dr melfi and sopranos sometimes you don't want your work to be following you home in this way yeah maybe 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 yeah that's that's true any other feedback you want to get to josh no nothing else for me but before we close out let's give a quick shout out to our sponsors of this episode antonio tell me a story by kevin williamson everyone remembers their favorite fairy tales growing up uh i like i was a rumpelstiltskin guy i don't know if you count that as a as a fairy tale there is the the shelly duvall storybook theater with a very memorable rumpelstiltskin uh chapter i don't know how into the the shelly duvall storybook theater you were trip trap trip trap uh no i wasn't a shelly duvall story what's your favorite fairy tale you're a you're a shrek guy (laughs) big shrek guy i've seen three shreks uh yeah (laughs) you couldn't stand to go to the forest (laughs) i mean I, i listen uh uh, no, I meant in real life. Like I've actually seen three Shreks. Uh, yeah, three people named Shrek. It, after, three actual after Shreks. The yeah, shout out to the Doughboys podcast. No, I remember I, uh, Max Shrek. Max Shrek, uh, Batman villain in Batman Returns. My favorite stories as a kid. I like Peter Pan. That's not a fairy tale, though, a is Peter it? Peter Pan guy. I think I would count Peter There's Pan. There's a, a fairy, fairy in it. 
Yeah, there's literally a fairy in it. Okay. You have to like clap to bring her back to life. So, but those aren't some of the most well-known uh, fairy tales. Uh, the new season of Kevin Williamson's Tell Me a Story takes the world's most well-known fairy tales and reimagines them as a dark and twisted psychological thriller. We know a little bit of something about that. Um, this is exploring an entirely new set of characters. Uh, this season, Josh features three legendary stories, Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, and Cinderella. Yeah, uh, I'm a big Beauty and the Beast guy, if I'm if I'm being honest. I, I always aspired to be the Beast. Uh, that's that's been he's he's like been my like uh, a little bit of a cartoon role model to me. I was I always aspired to be Gaston personally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You always struck me as a little bit of a guest. On no, to me. no. Uh, but yeah, so it's streaming December fifth exclusively on CBS All Access. It stars Paul Wesley, uh, best known for the Vampire Diaries, Carrie Ann Moss from The Matrix, uh, and Jessica Jones is on the show. Ika Darville as well, also from Jessica Jones. Odette Annabelle is on it. Matt Lauria, Friday Night Lights shout out. Uh, this season of the show it was shot on location in Nashville, uh, which means there's original music woven into the stories and you're not going to want to miss out on any of that so if that show sounds interesting to you you can sign up today for cbs all access by going to cbs.com slash post you'll get a fr- your first week of cbs all access it's going to be free uh, and you can stream the new season of tell me a story on december 5th that's cbs.com slash post to get your first week of cbs all access free antonio where do we where do we go from here uh, as we as we look ahead, we're going to 408 is our next episode. 408 timeout, I believe. Does that mean we're going to move away from the Elliot storyline completely? Are we getting like a, a palate cleanser next week? We Maybe need- hanging out with, with DDP and Dom as they're dealing with uh, with everything that's going on in their world? I mean, timeout, like time, anytime you talk about time in the context of this series, uh, my ears perk up a little bit. Uh, so we definitely need a timeout from what's happening. Uh, we're not going to I don't think we're going to get the Deus group meeting next episode. So if we don't, uh, we definitely need to take a time out from the events of what's happening before we can get there. Obviously what was happening with DDP with, uh, Dom and Darlene, uh, was significant. Uh, and we can't just leave that by the wayside. It certainly seems like that's where we're heading. Uh, but I, 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 the problem that I have with peanuts and Javi being out there in the ether is I would really like Elliot to be able to take a time out and talk to Krista, despite the fact that like rope, there's now a dead body in the living room. I would like Elliot and Krista be it to be able to sort through the aftermath of what just happened. Krista did not want to force this reveal, even in the context of their therapy, because it can be a very upsetting thing. Elliot needs Krista now more than he's ever needed her. So if he needs to take a time out from what his plan was and really sit down and process this with her at his side, I'd love to see that. And I think we we probably will get some of that next episode. All right. So we'll be back next week talking about 408 timeout here on the Mr. Robot podcast. I'm really excited to get into it. Um, this was this was a really difficult episode to process. I'm going to try and rewatch it before we get into 408 timeout, um, even though I feel like it's like indelibly impressed upon my brain, <laughs> the the events of this episode. Like I'm I am honestly never going to forget how I physically felt watching this episode. Uh, that is a that is like a palpable sense memory that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. You may be triggered just when it starts. But for me, when I rewatched it, and I, I think I was telling myself some lies, 
I watched Act One through Three, and I was like, I'm cruising through this. This is no problem. I got this. Like I thought this would be a tough rewatch, and then Act Four hit, and I was like, son of a bitch. Like yeah, this is yeah, brutal. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. watch those first three acts, and then when you've got it in your headspace and your emotional energy tank is full, put on Act Four and Five. I, I, sitting through all five at once, I'm not sure how easy that would be to do. All right, we'll be back next week. Get your feedback into us. You can email us, mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. You can tweet at postshowrecaps as well. Subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already on whatever podcast app you listen to us. But if you like the Apple feed, postshowrecaps.com slash mrrobot iTunes. Antonio and I are also podcasting about Watchmen over at The Hollywood Reporter, the series regular podcast over at THR. So if you're watching Watchmen and you want to get Antonio and I talking about that, you want to hear what our takes are on the squid pro quo of it all, uh, we've got a lot of that for your ears. So go check out Series Regular over at The Hollywood Reporter. Antonio, anything else? Just want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to write in. Uh, We didn't obviously have time in this hour and a half podcast to get to everything, but we got some really nice notes from people, some very personal stories, uh, some really long uh, emails that we I took the time to make sure that I read everything that everyone wrote in, whether it was on Twitter and my DMs, uh, in our email address, uh, because I know this episode meant a lot to a lot of people. Uh, and I'm certainly very appreciative of the people that took the time uh, to write or tweet at us uh, and let us know what you guys thought about it, because uh, it is not something we have to go through alone. Like we're, we are together on this uh, and we're not all Fernando Vera's out here uh, who have some ulterior motive uh, when we're saying you're not alone. Uh, so I certainly appreciate it. You'll never walk alone is a mantra of mine. Uh, and I definitely appreciated getting all the feedback and getting through it. Uh, and certainly uh, the door's open. If you want to continue to write us, just do what Josh just said. Hit us up on one of those forums uh, about this episode, about any episode, about anything we said on this podcast or otherwise. Uh, the door's Jack always Frost. open. Yeah, Jack turbulence, Frost. it's a killer ride. It's a killer ride. Turbulence is a killer ride. Yeah, we can go there. Uh, all those things. Rope, if you want to write about rope, we can talk about Hitchcock all day long. Let's do it. So just uh, doors all open. Right. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for everything this past week. Uh, It's been so great connecting with all of you over this really challenging episode of the show. Uh, But we are the storm. We will weather this together. Uh, I don't know if the world should be afraid of you and me, Antonio. I don't. I don't really. I don't know what we what we're gonna do. Form like Uh, Voltron and play Nintendo for like three months. (laughs) Oh my god! And I'll form the head. Okay, we will be back in giant robot form talking about Mr. Robot next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you.